seem like nasty creatures. Jimmy, good to see you. It has been some time since we last spoke. Lee, how are you? I see you have Alan and Samuel with you. Fantastic. Good day. Hello, hello Jimmy. Good to see you again. Hello. Thanks for meeting here. Where's Lovey? She's trying to, to, to rally others to our cause. There are a lot of lost souls in the, this house, all caused by M- Malek. Yes, and no doubt would all like the same release we pray for. That. <sighs> And revenge. Good. We're going to need all the assistance we can get. He holds a lot of power over this house. My friend here tends to believe that he is not working alone. Don't you, friend? Well, we haven't seen anyone else. But he does appear to have another agenda. Jimmy? Lee found this behind a brick in Malik's wall. What is it? It appears to be Malik's journal. There are no dates on it, so we are unsure as to when this happened. Yes. Here, read this section. We are thinking we just hit the jackpot. It's only a matter of time until someone catches on to my deeds. Now being a spirit myself, my powers have risen exponentially, and there are over a hundred sacrifices to the house. I must protect myself, but where should I put them? You guys have really found the jackpot alright. Keep reading, there's more. A well of despair and pity. A fantastic place for my remnants, I think. Anything for mother. Anything for him. See? See? At the east of all things is where I'll be. Somewhere in the east wing, perhaps? That does seem logical. Please spread the word to the others. Break out and search the eastern wing. We'll have to reconvene with findings. Agreed. We won't let you down, Jimmy. Thank you all. Hopefully soon we will have our vengeance and we can all go home. Well, friend, our biggest clue yet. We are getting close, I think. Touch this book. I can feel some energy coming off it. 
Little Black Book. Written by Caitlin Marceau. Narrated by Jasmine Arch. He stands at the end of the driveway, his book tucked under his arm as he fixes his starched white collar and straightens his tie. He then picks a bit of lint off his beige khakis, takes a deep breath and marches up the walkway. As he rings the bell, he catches a glimpse of himself in the glass of the screen door and hurriedly runs a hand through his short blonde hair. The woman who answers the door is dressed comfortably in ripped jeans and a fitted white t-shirt, her long brown hair pulled back in a topknot. She rolls her eyes the second she sees who's waiting eagerly at the door. Hello, Mayor. Do you have a moment to spare this fine morning? No. Go away. Please, I'll only be a- Still, no. Now get off my porch, she says, cutting him off. His smile flickers momentarily as he stares at her, but he puts it back in place as quickly as it faltered and tries again. I'll only be a minute, Lena. And if by the end of it you still ain't interested... I won't be. Lena interrupts him. You knock on my door every Sunday. And every Sunday I tell you I don't want to join. Today isn't going to be any different. I'm willing to make you an even better offer. She crosses her arms over her chest, shaking her head. I don't care how much better you think your offer is. I'm not... And... I'll throw in a cash incentive, he says loudly over her. He waits patiently for her to cave and let him in, and after a few minutes go by, her curiosity finally gets the best of her. How much money? He doesn't say anything, but stares at her expectantly. Knowing he won't answer her until they get somewhere private, she sighs and unlocks the screen door, pushing it open for him. He moves to walk inside, but she stops him, holding up a finger. Ten minutes. That's all you get to convince me. Ten minutes. He flashes an even bigger smile and follows her into the entranceway and down a long hall past the living room. The walls are covered in photos of Lena with another young woman. He stops and takes one off the wall. Is this Katie? Lena stops to look at the photo and nods. She takes it from him and hangs it back on the wall, making sure it lines up properly with the others. He takes another one down and Lena rolls her eyes. Do you need to touch all of them? No, sorry. These are your parents? Yes. Were you close with them? She takes the second photo from him and hangs it back on the wall without answering. She continues down the hall to the kitchen and he follows her obligingly. She points to a bar stool which rests by the cheap IKEA kitchen island and he takes a seat. Coffee? She asks, opening one of the cupboards and taking out two mismatched coffee mugs. Does it count as part of my ten minutes? Absolutely. And it's closer to eight minutes now. Then no. Thank you. She puts one of the mugs back and closes the wooden door, porcelain rattling gently on the warped shelf inside. Lena begins fixing herself a drink in the chipped glass mug while the man sets his black leather book down on the countertop. The church. It's not the church. It's you, and you personally, that's making this offer. I don't care about anyone else or about your collective cause. 
You know, some really great people belong to my congregation. We only take the best of the best, and the occasional politician. <laughs> she chuckles at his own wit while she stares at him. She stirs some sugar into her coffee, watching through the side of the transparent mug as it dissolves into the nearly black liquid. She taps the spoon against the rim, then drops it into the dented sink. Cradling the mug in both hands, she leans against the stove and watches him through the small curls of steam rising out of her glass. He frowns, running a hand through his hair, and continues with his spiel. We're, I'm, willing to offer you 1.5 million. It'll be non-taxable, untraceable, and no one will ask any questions about it. Lena sips her coffee quietly, watching him but not saying anything. It's enough money you'd be able to pay for your sister's treatment and pay off the last of the bills your parents left you. I'm also willing to extend your time from the standard five to a full ten years. I don't get it, she says, putting her mug down on the counter and crossing her arms. Why do you want me so badly? You're hot right now. You're influential. We think you could be a major asset on our side. I'm none of those things. The work I have out is shit. Everyone knows that, and I can't sell my manuscript to save my life. For now. Lena looks at him, brow furrowed, until the meaning behind his words sink in. She frowns, shaking her head, and begins to pace across the kitchen. My book's going to be published, isn't it? Yes. It'll be a bestseller, too. How do you know? I just do. He says with a shrug. Lena begins to bite her nails, walking faster. Her skin looks paler in the sunlight streaming in through the kitchen windows, and she starts to perspire. It's a ripoff of an old story. I'm a hack of a writer. You publish it and everyone's gonna know. You won't be able to get away with it. The man laughs hard, wipes a tear from the corner of his eye, and quickly flashes his bright white teeth at Lena once again. We got Bush in for two terms. At the very least, we can get your book published without anyone the wiser for it. She stops her nervous pacing and resumes leaning against her stove. She picks her coffee back up and takes a huge gulp, wincing as the hot liquid burns her tongue. But let me guess, she drawls. I have to make the deal or nothing gets printed. Katie doesn't get cured and I can add her funeral to the list of expenses I have to worry about. Is that right? She raises an eyebrow, skeptical, as the white-collared devil shakes his head. No, not at all. I'm not like that, Lena. That's not how I work. It would be bad for business. Your book will come out as a sign of good faith. And I'm not going to kill your sister if you decide not to take the deal. I won't be able to take away her cancer, but I won't simply take her life. Besides... That's his job. The man stands up and crosses the room until he's only a foot away from Lena. She leans back against the counter, heart pounding, as he reaches a hand towards her. He chuckles and opens the cupboard (laughs) behind her head, getting himself a mug. After pouring himself a drink, he sits back down and takes a swig of the piping hot coffee. I didn't make your sister sick, and I can't take her cancer away, but I can guarantee that she'll get better with treatment. I can promise you that you'll get to see her get better, to see her get married, and to see her get pregnant. A full and happy life. 
Why do you need to murder me as payment? You make it sound so barbaric. I'm not going to murder you, Lena. In a decade's time, you go to sleep and simply won't wake up. You won't even realize you haven't woken up. You'll just stop being. But why? Because everything takes energy. The money for Katie's chemo. The money to pay your bills. Guarantee of good health in the years to come. All that energy has to come from somewhere. I'm not God, after all. <laughs> after a long pause, Lena shakes her head. I'll just use the money from my book to pay for my sister. And if it's not enough, then I'll figure something out. She might get better without your help. He nods, frowning slightly. She might, or she might get worse. No one knows for sure. Lena closes her eyes and rubs them with one hand. She can feel the headache forming under her skin, pounding at the grey matter of her brain and throbbing from behind her eyeballs down to the base of her skull. I know it's a lot to consider, but be realistic here. Your sister is going to die without my help. Without your help. So take the deal. Help recruit for my church. And enjoy being the biggest thing since James Frey in the time you have left. Lena chugs the last of her coffee and puts the cup on the counter. She opens one of the small cupboards above the stove and takes out a bottle of Irish cream. She unscrews the cap, pours it into the dirty mug, and lifts it to her lips. No! The man shouts, a voice so thunderous that the glass window panes vibrate, and he stands up so fast that he knocks the stool over. Lena drops the cup, startled, and stares down at the liquor spilling across the counter from the shattered glass. She turns to the man, pale and trembling, only to see his face twisted with rage. The fine lines in his face are suddenly far deeper, his bright teeth yellowed and rotting with age, and his cheer and empathy replaced with something sinister and greedy. When he realizes that she's watching him, the deep wrinkles seem to smooth themselves out. The brightness returns to his eyes, and a serene smile slowly works its way back onto his face. Sorry, he says placidly. He moves his hand in a sweeping motion, and Lena turns to see the mess has disappeared, a restored cup of liqueur waiting for her on the scratched countertop. She looks back at the man and sees the bar stool sitting undisturbed in its place next to the island, and she clutches at her chest. Being under the influence of drugs, alcohol, or intimidation nullifies the contract. A sip is enough to make the deal non-binding. And I don't think either of us wants that, do we? Lena shakes her head slowly. Good. So, how do we do this? He extends his left hand towards her. You just need to shake my hand, and then I'll add your name to my book. She holds her hand close to her chest before speaking hurriedly. Make it three million and twelve years and you have a deal. She holds out her hand and waits for him to make a decision. Done. He grasps her hand tightly, and she winces as his ring cuts into her skin. He releases his grip on her, and he watches with fascination as the cut on her hand seals shut, leaving behind a small pink scar in its wake. She stares at the scar a moment longer before picking up her drink and hammering it back. The man opens the book and Lena watches curiously as her blood falls off his ring and onto one of the thin, translucent pages. 
The blood hisses as it hits the paper and begins to swirl in a seemingly senseless pattern, finally spelling out her name in Lena's own handwriting. As the man closes the book, Lena's eyes are drawn to another name. Her throat tightens and she can feel her pulse quickening. Why is her name in your book? She asks quietly, her mouth suddenly dry. Why is Katie's name in your book? He looks up at her, all traces of his good-natured smile gone. Nothing is free, Lena. Not even your stolen bestseller. When your sister found out that she couldn't save her own life, she decided that she wanted to see you live your dream before she passed. It was very altruistic of her. No, you can't, please. You should have seen how happy she was when she found out that you would get your book and she would get five more years with you. Lena shakes her head, her eyes wide and red rimmed. Five years, but she's, but you said she was going to get better, get married, have a kid. She will get better and she will get married. But I only told you she'd get pregnant. I never told you she would give birth. Lena's cup slides from between her fingers once again and crashes to the floor. But you gave me 12 years. So use them wisely. He picks up his book, smooths out a crease in his pants and smiles at Lena. The smile is as cold, empty and hollow as she feels. See you soon, Lena. And give your sister my best. He places a small stack of brochures for the Church of Mammon neatly on the counter before leaving, the screen door clicking shut behind him. He walks to the end of Lena's driveway, adjusts his tie and stiff white collar and makes his way to her neighbor's door. He rings the bell and, after a moment, a small old woman answers. Hello, ma'am, he says with a wide smile. Do you have a moment to spare this fine morning? You've been listening to the Night's End podcast, which is a production of Dissonance Media. Little Black Book was written by Caitlin Marceau and was originally published in Women in Horror Annual 2016. Caitlin's works have also appeared on other podcasts such as Tales to Terrify, Pseudopod, and The Wicked Library. For more details on her published works, head over to caitlinmarceau.ca or follow her at Facebook, Twitter, or Instagram at Caitlin Marceau. This episode was narrated by Jasmine Arch, a writer, poet, narrator, and podcaster with chaos for brains and way too many dogs in her house. Find out about her or her work or sign up for her newsletter at jasminearch.com. Samuel is performed by Mike Ricard from the Stories of Strangeness podcast. Alan Mortain was performed by David Martinez. Lee Mortain was performed by Falconetti. Jimmy Horace was performed by James Barnett. This episode was edited and produced by James Barnett. If you enjoyed this episode, we would really appreciate it if you could leave a five-star rating and a review. It means the world to us. And as always, stay horrific, everyone. <laughs>